Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Vescovich. This week we're talking about the tennis film The Battle of the Sexes and the festive Netflix original film A Christmas Prince. Caroline has also watched The Good Place for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've been looking through the emails, haven't we, Caroline? We have indeed. And Barbara Reese from Brazil has been in touch to say, huge fan of the show, and I think you conduct some of the best conversations slash analysis on pop culture on the internet. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I am not at all made arrogant by that. <laughs> <laughs> but she also has a question. She says, I've been plagued by something that I've no idea if you can answer, but I thought I might give it a try. Have you heard any news about the BBC's His Dark Materials adaptation? I remember it was announced in late 2015 and then we were pretty much left in the dark, except for tiny bits of info every now and then, mostly from Pullman's Twitter. I was terribly excited to see it and I'm truly bummed by its MIA status. So, Anna, do we know anything about this? Well, I'm kind of in the same position as Barbara. I can't believe it was late 2015 that it was announced. That seems like... So long ago. So long ago, nearly two years ago. But the last we heard about it, so this is for people who don't know, the BBC are adapting the His Dark Materials series. They said that Jack Thorne was the writer they'd attached to Mm. it. And then I don't think we had anything else, really, apart from that it was happening and that he was going to be writing it. There's no cast announcements or anything like that. And the last thing we heard about it, and we just did a quick Google, was April 2017, which was when Jack Thorne said he was still very much early on in the writing process and talked about that a bit with the Radio Times. Yeah, I wonder whether the fact that Philip Pullman's been doing the Book of Dust has meant that Mm. he's taken a bit of a backseat and therefore it's going a lot slower. I don't know. And also, obviously, Jack Thorne must have been doing Cursed Child stuff maybe still in late 2015. When did Cursed Child come out? Was it summer 2015? Yeah. Or 2016? Summer 2016, Yeah, I think. So you probably Summer was 2016, I think, yeah. still doing that at first. But yeah, I don't know why it's why it is moving so slowly. It's also the kind of thing that you could imagine will have loads of post-production time on it. So even after they've announced it and filmed it, we're still going to have quite a long time to wait, I think. Yeah, I would say 2019 at the earliest mm. would be my estimation based on sad. the kind of scope of it, definitely. Mm. So yeah, that is sad. But um, thank you for reminding us that it is allegedly happening, Barbara. We'll keep an eye out for it. 
We've also had an email from Laura Snapes who got in touch to say that she agreed about the Didion documentary. She says it perpetuated the idea of her as a cute lifestyle, Mm. which is, yeah, it's kind of disappointing. And she says it's sad because most people who'd want to watch a Joan Didion documentary would surely want something much more forensic and craft-led. Very true. Then she says the discussion reminded her of how brilliant the Roger Ebert documentary Life itself is, as far as docs about writers go. I haven't seen it. Yeah, Roger Ebert, he was the Chicago Sun-Times film critic. Now he ha- there's like rogerebert.com where lots of lots of really great critics write mm, for. Yeah. So yeah, Laura's recommending this documentary about him. She says it's so detailed about his work, but also his beautiful relationship with his wife. I don't know anyone who's seen it and hasn't cried. It's a gorgeous human story and there's an extra layer of delight there for writers and journalists. It's on Netflix. Well, that sounds like a great recommend, especially yeah, for I... people who maybe watched the Didion one and were disappointed. I really want to try that, not least because my boyfriend is a massive Roger Ebert fan. Oh, great. Yeah, he really, really likes him. Also, I think his wife was on an episode of the Death, Sex and Money podcast. Oh, cool. Great Not podcast. Not that long after he died. And she talked really interestingly about kind of actually Didian ideas about how she was really convinced that she could still feel his presence mm. for like a year after he died. And she sort of got quite into various like spiritualist ideas about the soul and all this kind of thing to try and explain why she had this feeling it was really interesting that's so cool well two great recommends we've ended up with there (laughs) both that documentary and the podcast episode so thanks so much for getting in touch everyone should we roll on with the show yeah let's do it the first thing we're going to talk about this week is the battle of the sexes which is a historical biopic portraying the events leading up to the 1973 tennis match between Billie jean king and bobby riggs It stars Emma Stone as King and Steve Carell as Riggs and focuses on the characters' personal lives and the febrile state of gender relations as well as on the tennis. Yeah, so it's really a kind of film about an event, a very iconic sporting event, but that is saved for right towards the end of the film. It's the climactic sequence and we get a lot of stuff about Billie Jean King's life, her work, her relationships, all leading up to that that moment in 73. Yeah, it's an interesting way of making a film about Billie Jean King, really, isn't it? Mm. Because I feel like she is someone whose life and work would stand up to a more conventional biopic, you know? Mm -hmm. But they've chosen to show it through the prism of this one event, which, from what I've been able to tell reading about it, I have to say I hadn't really heard of it Mm, before seeing the trailer for this film. But I did, I was interested and I did go read a bit about it. There was a documentary made about it, I think, recently. It was popular, popular and I think that kind of encouraged some retrospective analysis of the event. But it was a massive deal. Like, it's really hard I think maybe to appreciate now but something like 90 million people watched it on television yeah and it was this somehow became this kind of cultural flashpoint in the early 70s for all these things political things that were swirling around like Nixon was president all this kind of stuff like hippies versus squares men versus women housewives versus career women like somehow all this one tennis match came to stand in for all of those things yeah and it's it's a real kind of spectacle isn't it More, like mm. it's hard to know how much this match between you know man versus woman actually made an impact in terms of any sort of attitude changes or <laughs> legislation changes or anything like that but it was this massive massive spectacle regardless of how much it actually did for 
you know, equality in sport? Well, I mean, I think it was like one small step on the way. I don't, it certainly wasn't the case that like Billie Jean King, spoiler alert, smashed him. And then immediately all women's sports stars were paid the same as men. And no. that was the end of it. I mean, I think I read that equal pay at Wimbledon only came in in 2007 or something mm. like that. You know, at the beginning of her career, Serena Williams was being paid a lot less than men. But there's also this whole, a lot of the film deals with more specific kind of activism changes that, mm. that you know, that I think the fact that they're starting up their own women's league of tennis players is perhaps more important in yeah. how they come to get, you know, fairer pay for women in and fairer prize monies so yeah it's an interesting film for me it's kind of one of those films where it doesn't fit easily into a box it's not as you say a conventional biopic it's more a film about an event but then it's also not really that much about the event it's, it's so much about like her love life and mm. there's some really beautiful romantic scenes in it between so Emma Stone and Andrea Riseborough which are lovely but I just struggle to know like what the film is like doing or saying, if that makes sense, because it was enjoyable, but it wasn't like a piece of social activism and it wasn't like a romance, beautiful, aesthetic, gorgeous, unified romance movie. Like there were lots of nice details about it that I really liked. I thought at, at the beginning when they're the romance between the, these two characters is just beginning you get all these kind of like very almost like Petra Collins-esque, lush, 70s, mm. soft, nicely lit scenes with neon and, you know, all of that's really, really gorgeous. And then their sex scenes are really beautifully done. And then later on, I like the way that it starts to kind of like layer what it would have looked like on the TV at the time, that sort of oh, oversaturated yeah. yellowy 70s look with the actual way that the the match is being filmed for for us mm. in the audience but you know the point of the film it's not like a film like moonlight or something where the aesthetics are so integral to what it's doing and it's also not a normal biopic and it's also not really a piece of event tv and it's like very funny in parts and very enjoyable but it's also not like a social justice movie so i'm kind of like I don't know, there's something for me that's a little unfocused about it, maybe, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I experienced that sort of in real time because I went to see the film and then I went and did some shopping afterwards and I came home and my boyfriend asked me, oh, how was the film? And I was like, oh, yeah, I did go and see a film, didn't I? It, <laughs> it was only like two hours later and I'd already forgotten. And mm. not because the film is... Uh, in the cliched way, eminently forgettable, just because it didn't make a deep impact on me once I'd left the cinema. Yeah. Um, you know, I enjoyed, for instance, Alan Cummings' excellent, like, gay fairy godmother character. Oh my God, I hated it. Did I, you? I, I thought he was amazing. It. I thought he was terrible. I thought he was like Willy Wonka coming into these oh, scenes God, yeah. and ruining them. No, <laughs> I was totally. Like, You're in a different but... movie. Go away. Where are That's you? what I loved about it. That's what oh, I loved about it. God, it was so over the top and so ridiculous. It was so self-consciously like, hi, I am a gay person who does clothes. Yeah. It, Which I thought was and, hilarious. And it was very like, I don't, they gave him like the emotional last line of the movie. I think again, mm -hmm. because the movie is a bit like, oh, so what was the point of this? And yeah. then there's like, it's got nothing really to say. So it's like, instead they make it about, you know, this guy hugging her and saying like, one day you'll be able to love who you love openly. And it's a bit, it just feels a bit like, I don't, you know, you can tell that that moment didn't really happen. And no. it just feels a bit, I don't know. 
like here we go here's gene wilder coming in at the end just a bit bizarre no i i love that i mean it was one of the worst objectively one of the worst things about the film but i liked i don't know i just i found him amusing in this sort of fake fairy godmother role by rights that should have been a stanley tucci role absolutely i assume scheduling conflicts prevented him um because obviously he will have been the first choice but i thought both emma stone and steve carell were very good in this yeah great performances from both of them definitely really great performances and i mean i don't watch a huge amount of sport movies but i thought they handled the like sport aspects of it quite well in that other than the actual match itself which is obviously the main focus of the film we didn't have to like watch body doubles playing tennis a lot no it was quite they did it quite um efficiently it was quite a slim portion of the movie Mm. but quite they were quite exciting those scenes yeah yeah, i agree that the two leads are both really good i don't know if they're if that this is being pushed as like oscar performances for either of them but i'm not aware of it i've read i don't know about you but i've i've read a couple of like oscary lists so far and i haven't seen it on any of them my boyfriend was saying he thinks they'll push Steve Carell for supporting actor for that role, which, I mean, it's a great performance and he is very likeable. And Steve Carell's obviously got like a whole background in playing likeable, but like deeply politically incorrect characters. Yeah. yeah. And that pays off here because there's a whole kind of line of like, he's not really that sexist. He's just like trying to make some money. He's a hustler. He just wants to like gain the spotlight. But I also thought that that message doesn't translate very well in 2017, where these figures like Trump and Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg are actually so scary for their like performed misogyny. I did think that when you know, all the stuff when he was like handing her a pig and wearing t-shirts saying male chauvinist pig. I did get a bit of a chill looking at the shots of the crowd because, you know, and that phrase that I think of so much these days, like when someone tells you who they are the first time, believe them. Yeah. And I just thought he's here he is saying, hi, I'm a male chauvinist pig. And, and in that sense, Billie Jean King is right in the way she handles it because she just says, yeah, you are. Let's play tennis so I can show you that I'm better than you. Yeah. But there's a line, isn't there? They give her a line where she there's this figure of Jack who's kind of like in charge. He's an mm. ex-tennis player who's like in charge of the tennis leagues and deciding prize money and stuff. And she says to him, like, you know, Bobby Riggs, is, his misogyny is performative and doesn't run deep, but you're like the real misogynist. And that line to me felt a bit like, well, actually, we can't really say things like that anymore because no. performative, you know, misogyny and racism and stuff actually can be more dangerous yeah. <laughs> is what we've learned and uh, and can still be the exact same thing as like genuine deep running hatred of, of minority groups. So it's just, yeah, ugh. I thought about comparing it a bit to Joy, which is another kind of sort of biopic about someone who's got like an interesting story. Like, as you say, Billie Jean King's perfectly worthy of a full biopic, but that's not what this was. Both of them were kind of aesthetically a bit interesting, but ultimately... I don't think we're ever going to revisit Joy and be like, that was a great movie. No. And I think I feel the same about this, maybe. Yeah, I think I agree. So uh, I think... It's a perfectly nice outing to the cinema, but I don't think it's, you know, necessarily going to challenge for any big awards or linger Mm. long. Mm, Maybe. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So the next thing we're going to talk about is the Netflix original film, A Christmas Prince, starring Rose McIver as an American journalist sent to cover a succession crisis in the snowy European country of, quote, Aldovia. <laughs> While there, she gets drawn into the personal lives of the royal family she is supposed to be reporting on, who'd have thunk it, and forms an attachment to the troubled Prince Richard and his sister Emily. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally everything that you could possibly imagine to happen in in a film with, with the premise, undercover reporter goes to cover life of handsome prince happens. <laughs> yes. I think you could write it from the armchair, yes. you know. So yeah, it, even the credit sequence I found to be very, very nostalgic of early noughties rom-coms mm-hmm. in that it, or even earlier, it, it has the same t- title sequence as um, What a Girl Wants yes. and You've Got Mail, where mm-hmm. it's like a kind of CGI New York City skyscape and then you like zoom into certain streets and stuff while all the credits are rolling. And then she's like a journalist, the working at this magazine called Now Beat Magazine. And I don't understand what sort of magazine it is that is no. like interested in like celebs, but also like the kind of obscure succession crises of minor well, European countries. My best guess is it's like hello or okay. But then why do they give a shit about this, well, this political monarch crisis? You looked in hello or okay recently. Like, they cover the most obscure... I read it sometimes in, like, the doctor's waiting room and stuff. They cover the most obscure things as long as the people are handsome. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> so, actually, that was quite believable to me that such a magazine would do that because it was like, I l- oh, he's handsome. We don't care where this place is. It's obviously politically <laughs> totally irrelevant. But, you know, whatever. That's so funny. I kind of loved and hated the terrible magazine editor performance who's there like, hey, kid, I'm going to need you to go to Aldovia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Um, but... You You've got, to co- you've got to cover his royal hotness. This is your big break, kid. Yeah. I've got no one else to send. <laughs> I, f- I found the like brief journalism 
in New York scene before she heads off. In some ways, as you say, hilarious, but in other ways, kind of too real. In some other ways, like the horrible interaction she has with a man who's copy so she's working as a sort of sub-editor um mm. a horrible interaction she has with this male writer who's like yeah i know i wrote twice as much and it's all terrible just fix it will you just rewrite it for like no credit or pay just do it and then yeah but also she's not a sub-editor she's a junior, junior editor, editor. And, I know. and her big dream is to become a writer and yeah. you're like you're in a way more senior and secure job than like a freelance writer. You're a junior editor. That's a great position. But also <laughs> Love it, babe. the fact that she like goes over to her junior editor colleagues and is like, oh, the only way I can really prove myself and get my career on track is to take this random reporting assignment because being an editor just isn't valued at this publication. And I was like, yeah. I've, Where I've, do you work? I've never heard of this before. <laughs> this definitely has not happened to me. But... I love it. Also, shout out to the best friend minorities. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, they're like, we'll have a black woman and a gay guy. <laughs> and, they, and then every like, basically every time she has a sort of problem, she like either calls her dad or like tunes in for another episode of Skyping with the minorities. Yep. Where she like literally video calls her like best friends from home and they get to have like the occasional line of like, you can do it. You should you run your story. That's like it. That's the extent of their characters. Their advice really is sad. so generic as well. It's like, yeah, you should totally go, girl, is the kind of yeah, thing the gay guy it's says. Like, totally emotionless and dead. I mean, I feel like a good way to describe this whole film is that it's very nostalgic for those early noughties films, but has decided not to progress in any way from that point, when obviously it's like nearly 20 years later yeah. and like the way that we think plots and characters should function has changed a lot and on top of that they've decided to just drop the quality of the acting and the script writing by like two levels so it's like even more terribly written and performed and just like has no redeeming qualities 20 years on mm. right as you say it's kind of emotionless in some ways like you know you're supposed to be having quote feelings because it's very snowy and the prince is very handsome and all of this mm. kind of stuff but I did not have feelings of great investment in any of the characters or storylines in this no. but I do have to caveat that with I did very much enjoy it nonetheless oh me too I watched it at a friend's house with like a bunch of friends and we were all like screaming every yep. line before they said it because it's so obvious I think perhaps the weirdest thing about this film is that it has no like arc mm -mm. there's no yeah. pacing to anything there's just like lots of short scenes like every scene could be from the like beginning of the movie or the end of the movie yeah. like there's no development there's no sense of like progression at all and every scene is like will give you whiplash in the way that it's like hi i'm really angry with you now i love you <laughs> now i'm angry again like within the space of like five seconds like yes. every, it's a bit like a simon cowell kind of like and i'm really sorry to say that you're in the final. Like <laughs> yes. everyone's like lying for a second in every scene where they're like, I'm really disappointed that you went tobogganing without me. But next time, where's my invite? <laughs> you're like, what is this? Nobody yeah. talks like this. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone is thinking of watching this film because, you know, they love The Princess Diaries or What a Girl Wants or whatever. It is a rip of The Princess Diaries. It is a rip of, of those films. 
but it is not equal to them in terms of either comedy or emotional value but uh, the way you said you watched it is exactly how one should watch it I I wonder if actually Netflix have done a genius thing here where they've identified that this is exactly the film people want to watch at their like friends Christmas weekend before everyone heads off to their families for Christmas while getting drunk and like being like I could have written this exactly because you can literally run through it and be like this scene is from the princess diaries exactly this scene is from she's all that exactly this scene is from beauty and the beast where she gets lost in the forest Mm -hmm. and all these wolves arrive like exactly and that was totally i agree i'm like either they're really really dumb or they're really 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 smart i think (laughs) they might be the latter i think they're really smart yeah (laughs) so i think they know that people love all those movies and what they've done is repackage them with a satisfying amount of shitness so that you can scream at the tv and a lovely like snowy festive setting because i did really enjoy all the like exterior shots of nice castles in the snow it didn't look like a real royal village it looked like instead you know those episodes of keeping up with the kardashian where scott disick <laughs> decides he's going to be lord disick and like hires a suit of armor and yes. some like monogrammed slippers that's what it looked like oh yeah it looked like scott disick had been like i want to live in a cool european castle <laughs> and so he'd just gone to one of those pubs that has like old timey wood cladding inside Mm -hmm. and that's it yeah (laughs) really terrible and just to you know spoil the whole actual plot for a second the like succession line thing where Mm. oh no the prince might be adopted oh wait but his dad actually secretly changed a law so that's fine all Mm. that stuff is totally absurd and almost you can like nap through those bits and like nothing terrible would happen another great reason why this is a good uh, film to watch in a slightly sleepy drunk afternoon because you could fall asleep for 10 minutes and it would be fine yeah totally it's so it's bizarre that they think that we'd be interested in minor legal legal disputes yeah no (laughs) Uh, um as you would expect of course there is a like evil countess character who's trying to manipulate the succession in the wrong way and Mm. there's a, a ball scene or something and um she's wearing a kind of red vampy dress and mm. i was watching this with headphones on and guy came in and looked over my shoulder and he was like is she the baddie i was like yeah yes, exactly. how could you tell I mean, they have the faces <laughs> of baddies but also i love that it's like it all it, it, this is it's just so dumb that it's like woman wants to wants power evil mm-hmm. man wants power good sense of duty and responsibility yes. very good noble man and yes. you're like this is so terrible it's so transparent it's so transparent and just to completely wreck it through the the very very end bit when the prince comes to the humble diner where cinderella i mean the journalist is working now to propose in the snowy midnight street on new year's eve etc and she accepts and then she's like oh no but what about my father what about my life here what about my career and he essentially just goes i'll fix it with all my money we could move it yeah (laughs) we'll just move your dad's restaurant it'll be fine yeah it's really bizarre some of my favorite scenes in this movie included i liked the bit where the um the prince was missing Mm -hmm. so everyone was like where will he be and his sister was like i know where he'll be just like goes to an orphanage and (laughs) and she's like look there he is playing with the poor children he's always here and you're like what this is so terrible Mm -hmm. um i also liked the bit where she's like inexplicably riding a horse and we're all like where did she learn to ride a horse and i'm like oh she's from new york so central park and then she's like i learned to ride my horse in central park and you're like oh my god who is writing this like it's so so terrible uh it just oh, i can't even begin but 
it was great fun. It was great fun. And as you know, we're now very nearly at the end of December and, you know, festive things. I, I've definitely seen on my Twitter and Instagram, people are already watching Love Actually. Yeah, I mean, Love Actually, really, when you look into it, is not a whole lot better, is it? No, but God, no. It, it just is. The performances are better. It's more charming. It's just like, oh, you just can't. I don't know where that Christmas magic comes from, but. I've only had it so far this year in Paddington too. Mm. Nothing else has really tickled that for me. And maybe the marvellous Mrs. Maisel. I'm um, pinning all my hopes on that. Yeah. Well, I'll see, we'll see what you make of it. Anyway, A Christmas Prince. Watch it or don't, but it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> so last week... I recommended that Caroline watch The Good Place. I feel like before we discuss this show, it's important to know how far along you got, Caroline. So how much of The Good Place did you watch? I've watched all available episodes. Have you? <laughs> yes. Oh my God, me too. That's so funny. <laughs> I got completely... So I was a, I was quite ill last week and I had like a day in bed. And I literally watched like 14 episodes in a no day. Way. It's so shameful. That's so good though. Because I think, I feel like it would have been sad to talk about The Good Place and be like, oh yeah, The Good Place. This is what yeah. the premise is. Because spoiler alert for anyone listening, there is quite a big twist at the end of season one. So I think we're probably going to discuss that today. We are. So if you have not seen the twist yet and are planning to skip ahead to the end and we'll see you next week. Yeah. So the premise is that they're in the good place, but Eleanor Shellstrop, the protagonist played by Kristen Bell, does not belong there, has been this case of mistaken identity, actually should definitely be in the bad place. And then the And it's a it's a heaven and hell thing. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So the good place is heaven and the bad place is hell. And she's dead. <laughs> some some key info there. And then as it goes on, every day that they that the four main characters, Eleanor, her quote soulmate, Chiddy this woman called Tahani, who's like a kind of socialite charity do-gooder person and her... Played by Jamila Jamil, yeah, which is... from T4. Amazing. <laughs> Brits will remember from T4. Great casting for her and great a great mm. role. Really ramping up a ridiculous posh English accent. And then her soulmate, who's a Buddhist monk slash guy called Jason from Florida, who's pretending to be a Buddhist monk in the same way that uh, Eleanor's pretending to be good Eleanor. And then as it goes on, you realize that they're literally miserable every single episode because they're so stressed about their situation. Mm -hmm. And eventually Eleanor kind of realizes that actually if she's in heaven, why is she like literally so stressed all the time? <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> Michael, who is the architect of heaven. So like he's kind of an angel or demon like figure who's been in charge of like making sure they're happy. She's like, hang on, we're in the bad place to him. And he's like, does an evil laugh and so then that's the the big twist in the series is that actually they've been in hell all along which mm -hmm. is is an interesting place to go right it is although i have to say this probably sounds like horrible and smug i did guess about three episodes out that that was did what was you i didn't see it coming yes. at all the thing i wasn't sure about was whether michael was in on it or not mm. i wasn't sure if he was actually like a good place architect who'd been duped by someone or whether he'd actually designed this hell for mm. them obviously it turns out to be the latter but the reason why i thought that was going to happen was because partly because as you say like you have just watched like 12 episodes of them being like i'm so unhappy mm. even though they're supposed to be in heaven but also 
it is kind of the logical place for a show about heaven and hell to go, mm. especially when the ser- series one had gone on and we hadn't actually seen hell ever. Yeah, we've heard a lot that about it. That was for it. me the giveaway. We kept hearing about it and we met a couple of people from it. But I was like, why don't you show it to mm. us? Unless this is it, you know? Yeah. That's very smart because I did not get there. I yeah, I was really surprised by the by the twist. But one thing that I thought gave gave there were some clues. Like for example, the the day she arrives, like every single shop there is a frozen yogurt shop. Yep. And you're like, cool, but no one really loves frozen yogurt that much. And I thought it was because you're not really meant to identify so much with the characters who are actually good. Mm. You're meant to identify more with the people who are like have done bad things in their lives, and like so I wondered if frozen yogurt was like a thing that good people really enjoy because Mm. and and all the rest (laughs) of us bad lot like like proper ice cream you know i thought maybe that was the joke but one thing i have to say is this show i'm like someone who worries quite a lot about whether i'm a good person or a bad person and this show really plays on that for me so sometimes i don't enjoy it because i'm like all of these characters that are supposedly evil and have gone to hell have never done anything that bad (laughs) i know they're not murderers and they're not you know (laughs) they're just like selfish people yeah like they're a bit self-interested a bit like like Chidi's main character flaw is that he's indecisive, which is like I know. not a bad thing at all, and like supposedly hurts people in his life by like not being able to make decisions. Tahani's is that she's done loads of good things, but like for the wrong reasons. It's actually because she just wants mm. to look good, and you're like, who gives a fuck? Like that's a good societal reward for doing good things. Like, yeah, Jason is just like a bit of an idiot, and he rob he tried to rob a bank and died in the process. Like, I don't know. None of them have really done anything like assault somebody or no i don't know um so i've spent the whole time being like well if they're in hell i'm gonna be like in a deeper circle of hell i'm gonna be like the 10th (laughs) circle of hell um i have to say it's really hard to explain how i got or why i got addicted so deeply to this program because i don't know in some ways it's quite formulaic Mm. until the big twist comes along like not a huge amount happens the peril doesn't feel that real Mm. i'm not so deeply invested in any of the characters that i would be at all upset if they did go to the real Mm. hell if you know what i mean Mm. but somehow it has this sort of charming blend of really good one-liners and just enough oh what's gonna happen next Mm -hmm. that just yeah i like mainlined it in about six yeah you're so right there are some things i find like i feel like the quality goes up and down quite a lot episode Mm, to episode it's not very consistent as a show and sometimes you'll have watched an episode and you'll be like what what was the point of that they it's obvious when they're inventing plot lines to kind of kill time some of it is filler for sure but i agree that the one-liners are really really save it and i think ted danson as michael is so so good um he's fantastic and he's really and i also love the the janet character who's this kind of like almost like ai personal assistant robot non-human thing that she's just well very well performed very well acted and so i like the weirdness of her but yeah sometimes i'm like why am i still watching this show i also really hate the way the credits roll because it's only a 20 minute show the like most climactic bit bit is obviously like in the last minute or 30 seconds and it's a really key part of the show but they make it so the credits roll over that bit and you're like hang on there's still like a big big bit of information coming and you're making me feel like i'm being played out of the room (laughs) but yeah 
apart from that, it's I don't know. There's obviously something about it that's kept me watching because I've watched all of it. Yeah, um, and now there's no more until January, mm. which I feel very bereft by. Mm. I'm similarly annoyed that there's no more Crazy Ex-Girlfriend for a couple of weeks either. Mm. I'm maybe um, one or two behind. Yeah, Netflix, what are you doing to me? So sad. So um, next week... Yeah, so next week we are going to have a go at another Netflix thing, which is a Margaret Atwood adaptation. And I don't actually know how to say the title of this. Me neither. If anyone knows, please tell us. It is Alias Grace or Elias Grace. Yeah. It's an adaptation of a historical novel by Atwood set in Canada about a woman called Grace, I think, who is wrongfully, maybe, we don't know, accused of a serious crime. Yeah, exactly. I don't know the story of this because I haven't read the book, so I'm quite excited. I have, but a very long time ago, and I cannot remember what happens. So, yeah, and I've seen so many people on Twitter praising this, so, yeah, I'm very excited to try it. Great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from The New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there we're available many other places on the internet including on twitter facebook and tumblr we're seriously pod on all of them follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you've enjoyed on the show we love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.